Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. Hey, what's up, Tyler? I'm uh, I'm feeling good. I have been in kind of one-on-one, nonstop meeting mode for the last week, and it's it's over now. So I'm excited to get back to normal life. Congratulations. <laughs> did you did you ever have moments like that uh at People Keep where you would just say like I'm meeting with, you know, everybody or a lot of people kind of all at once? Yes, and it's it's kind of a the higher level of this is you you focus on getting a bunch of the same thing like similar things done throughout a week mm. and you end up burning yourself out on it and then you're done and yeah, like you're like, what do I do now? And and you, all <laughs> yeah, you need I'm is a break. Yeah. yeah, today I, I had this morning free, and I I just kind of sat down at my computer and was like, uh, <laughs> no meetings. What? Yeah, what do I do with this time? <laughs> um, what did you end up but, doing? Did you take some time to to reflect on the meetings, or what have you been doing? Not yet. So my, my flow was, and just to catch people up. Um, so a week ago, I gave a presentation on like a a thing I do every six months, a presentation internally at the company to kind of say, here's some strategic stuff we're thinking about and what we want to do over the next six months and stuff. And then I meet with everybody and get their thoughts. And I also sent some prompted questions like, this is my opportunity. Normally the company's pretty happy in Kumbaya. And this is, I like force people to say, what's something you're unhappy about? Or, you know, different ways of phrasing that type of question. So yeah, I met with 18 people over the last week uh, on that. I, while doing the meetings, I have one, I have notes for each meeting, but then I have one master notes thing. That's like something I have to do or think about or something all in one place. So what you're saying, like reflecting on it, I need to go through that. I, I've, I've knocked out a couple things, but mostly I have not really given myself that time yet. Well, I watched your presentation and I just wanted to say that I thought you did a really, really nice job. And, uh, it captivated me. I, I mean, I watched it. The only thing I wish was like, I wish I could have watched it at a little bit higher speed, but for every reason, Dropbox, mm. when you play a video in Dropbox, it doesn't let you change the video playback speed. Hmm. Um, which is, I, which I haven't seen before now that I've gotten so used to that with virtual stuff. But, uh, yeah, I actually heard something funny today that, um, you know, uh, the students are really liking virtual classes because they can listen to lectures at 1.5 speed. That makes a lot of sense. I, that's how I watch YouTube videos and listen to podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Well, um, hmm. sorry, that was a sidetrack. Do you do you uh, have any big takeaways that you want to share from one on ones? Like, is there? Mm-hmm. A th- yeah, I'd love to hear those. Yeah, I took a couple notes here just to share. So one is, there's always stuff that's not perfect, right? And that's to be expected, and you know, not something I. I try not to be discouraged by that, but the the main theme of the negativity was unrelated to work, which was somewhat comforting, but also sad. But basically everyone's just like, I hate COVID. <laughs> like uh, some people more than others, but especially with winter coming up, one of the pieces of feedback I heard was just, this isn't good. It's about to get worse because we're not going to be able to be outside. It's got nothing to do with work, but that's the thing I'm bummed about. So that that was one theme I heard, which is, I guess, not a surprise. Um, one thing I did is I, during the presentation, I said, someone from the customer service team is going to take over 
the feature request list, I've kind of been managing that, but not really. Um, so basically, when customers ask for stuff, I want a CRM coach to be able to say, you know, I put this on this list, I, uh, whatever they're going to do. So then I can say, we've got five interns starting, giving, give me the projects they should work on or something like that. So I'll still be in charge of the overall product roadmap, but some subset of the product work we do is a reaction to customer feedback, whereas other stuff's stuff we decide to do. So that one part of it will be handled by someone else. We had four people um, volunteer to take that on, which is cool. Just need to figure out who, who it's actually going to be, but it's, it's neat having the volunteers. Did the people who volunteered see it as a, an opportunity to take on more responsibility and for career growth or what was, the, I'm interested in what the, the, did you dive into any of the motivators for applying? Yeah, I did with a few people. Um, I think one of the themes was CRM coaches are so dependent on the product. Like their, their job is teaching customers how to use the product, responding to feedback, both positive and negative. And I think they were just like the, the ability to be more in touch with the product, have more influence over it and all that. I think that was a big one. And then everyone kind of has their own reason. So like one of the people just loves process and she's like, you know, I want, I, what she likes doing is executing a process more so than putting it together. And she's like, I can tell once I get this set up, I'm just going to be able to like go through it and, and make sure it's humming. And she just really likes that type of thing. So I think it's different for everybody, but the product theme is the big one. That's great. Um, yeah, so that'll be, f- I, that's one of those items on that list I need to get through is like figure out who's, who's actually going to take it. Um, and then a good idea came out of it. A, a lot of good ideas came out of it. But one I particularly want to highlight is uh, one of the big problems we we have as a company that we're, we've never been able to crack is uh, people on the customer service team can't have the level of flexibility that developers have. If a developer is just like, I'm going to sleep in and show up an hour late, who cares? As long as you're not on bug fix duty, who cares? Um, whereas customer service people, it's like someone needs to pick up the phone when it rings. And so they're much more scheduled. And so we kind of the idea came up of what if there's always uh, there's all this work that's not time sensitive with customer service. What if we scheduled it so that someone's always doing that work um, so that there's always a, per- a backup person to step in if someone else wants to sleep in or wants to take a mental health day or this or that? Because the CRM coaches just feel a lot more pressure to not take off uh, at, at the last minute, they still take vacation and stuff because you can plan around that, but it's really hard for them to take off at the last minute. And I, I really like the progress we made on that. And so what's the, what's, what are you doing there? We need to figure out the specifics, but the basic idea is take all of the things that need to happen, but aren't time sensitive. So for example, setting the CRM coaching schedule, it's, we're going to do it today, but if, if it happens tomorrow, because you schedule weeks out, tomorrow's fine. And to make sure at any given time, one person is doing something non-essential so that you always have this buffer of a person to step in for someone else. It doesn't sound all that interesting, I guess, but like the exact way, we, we, we've never had this exact format of this idea before, and I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about it. It's kind of the opposite thing of the dev example, where dev sort of has a you know, you, you have a partial person on bugs as they start rising, but in customer service, mm-hmm. it's all customer service until like you have capacity uh, to invest in other things. And mm-hmm. you're at a, it sounds like you're at a point now where you can sort of go, we want to operate at some percentage of capacity in, you know, reactive 
real time customer support and have, you know, you know, excess capacity for that at all times. And what you have to figure out is what, where are you going to spend that extra capacity, that, that surplus capacity on, on a daily basis? Yeah, I, I think there's, I think it's like half that, but it's also half, we're already doing this other stuff. We just weren't oh, scheduling okay. it this way, you know? Um, it's a combination of both. So yeah, kind of treating it all as one big job as opposed to separating out the bu- the reaction stuff from the more project-based stuff. Yeah, like someone has to make sure the help articles are up to date. Before, we were just like, do that whenever. And the new idea would be schedule this hour to be that and a different hour to be something else like it and a different hour to be something else so that there's always a backup person at all times available. Cool. Um, so we'll, we'll test it out and see how it goes. But anyway, overall, I've been blabbering a lot. Uh, I came away from the meetings really excited. Um, I've said this before, but I, I I just feel more optimistic about the future of the company than I ever have before. And, you know, the team seems excited and ready to go. And um, it it's just a, a good time overall. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Often, you know, there are times when you have one-on-one meetings with every employee where you feel the exact opposite. So mm-hmm. it's good to, it's good to hear that that's that, that you're, that it's overall positive. Yeah. I'm always really nervous going into these meetings because Again, people people are kind of nervous to say negative stuff because even someone who's unhappy, they still get that this is a good job and they they don't want to complain about that. But this is the time if if something really stressful for me is going to come out, it's going to come out in these meetings. And you know, there are a, a few minor things, but overall, I get real nervous before them and I'm like as long as I'm not incredibly stressed out by the end, it was a win. And this one was definitely a win. I mean, this is the closest thing you have to a CEO report card. Um, mm-hmm. And you get it every six months. And a lot can a lot can happen in six months. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Cool. Uh, uh, yeah. What's, we got a million updates today, it looks like. Yeah. But, uh, how, how about you? <laughs> well, I mean, quickly, I'm moving this week. So I've been working really hard for the past couple of weeks to try to get it to where I could spend you know, tonight and all day Friday and the weekend helping my wife move. Uh, I'm on track for that, but I'm at a point now where it's like, I got to take a break from work Mm. because I am totally burnt out. Um, But I'm I'm in a good place. I I feel like going into open enrollment season and, you know, focusing on in this, you know, I'm I'm ready for it. Um, And this, this move will be a nice sort of distraction and break from work to, reset and come back at, at, um, with a renewed focus, um, next week. So cool. I'm moving. Um, that's, <laughs> and, and so after this podcast, I am, I'm not working the rest of the week. Awesome. But, and you will be working though. This is the same way just a couple of weeks ago, I took a, a quote unquote vacation and you told me that's not a vacation. You're moving. Do you feel like this will be restorative for you? I do. And primarily because I think uh, it'll be physical labor, and mm-hmm. um, I think it will be inspiring to be in a new, fresh place uh, that's clean and you know and brand spanking new. I, I also think the, that I'll sleep, which I haven't been doing, and I, th- mm. I think sleep is going to be really, really important. Um, so, I, yeah. Let's say you weren't moving. Would you like see the burnout coming and take this time off anyway? Yes. Yeah, it would be it would be organized differently, but I have I'm at the point where it's like, thank goodness I have been preparing to take time off for this. Mm-hmm. But it's, there's an argument that I probably wouldn't be as burnt out if we weren't moving because I wouldn't yeah. have felt the pressure. Do you think that 
it was worth it. Like some people kind of say, don't work yourself to the point where you're almost up to burnout. And then we, we've said before, though, that sometimes when you're really in the zone, maybe it's worth it as long as you take time afterwards to recover. Do you feel like you're happy with how you balanced this? Yeah, it's a great yes. And I, I appreciate you asking that because I actually did a really big reflection. One of the big things I stayed up for late this week was I put together a six-page memo for Lena, who is our part-time marketing person. And my goal was, to, I've been working on so many different things that no mm-hmm. one can, no one really understands the learnings we've had at Leg Up Health and the and the accomplishments we've had more than I do, which makes it really hard for Lena and even my wife Sable to follow along and say, nice job, or, you know, I agree with your new direction, or I, you know, I'm aligned to you. <laughs> um, so I took some time to just like write to Lena one night and say, I want to walk you through three different things. Um, I, I've, you know, here's what here, you know, first, here's what we've accomplished. Um, and it was a long list, man. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is uh, the time period I'm looking at was August 1st, we launched a goal of getting to 75 clients by the end of the year or to start, to start January, um, first. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're at about, we're forecasting about 35 right now with our current clients, users, pipeline, that kind of thing, which is really good. Uh, com- you know, compared to where I, I guess I thought we were going to be. Yeah. Cause um, open enrollment hasn't started yet, which is when you really get the customers. Totally. And we, we yeah. really haven't made put up you know, most of, well, this kind of gets into, so you go all through all the accomplishments and it's a lot. It's a, one of those things that I was going to tell you about today is um, the product is now complete for my original vision. I, you know, I was talking to someone on, on, uh, on Twitter DMs today and you know, I realized that my MVP in February was a Slack community. Mm-hmm. Right. And I had this vision um, and, but, but, you know, it, 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 I iteratively built the product from February to, you know, October, um, to, and, and the final piece of that product that I launched, uh, this week was, um, the digital health market tool marketplace. So now when someone logs into like up health, in addition to be able to shop for health insurance, uh, in addition to be able to look at their policy information, coverage details, um, they, they can actually go and look at, um, consumer digital health tools, like opening up a health savings account, um, for free um, with our partnership with Health Equity, and then I've I've put in some you know other virtual care and digital health um, tools like online pharmacies and uh, mental health uh, virtual care that just to kind of as an MVP of that feature. Yeah. And so now, like everything I originally envisioned uh, when I was thinking about okay, what what is what would this what would this product look like when it's done is out there and. And available to clients and prospective clients. So check mark on, you know, product, you know, I guess fully functioning product V1. Congrats. That's huge. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, but, but yeah, I went through all these accomplishments. Um, and you know, part of them were growing clients and learning about how to, you know, learning what marketing channels worked. And part of it was building a lot of systems and, and product mm-hmm. being one of those examples. And so, you know, second part of the memo was, uh, what are the wins from the past two months? When you look at all the accomplishments, those are just things we got done. Like those aren't necessarily wins. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, yeah, what you, are the, you can you can do something that has no impact on the business and just like that that doesn't matter. Totally. Like it's the difference yeah. between rewarding, you know, just getting stuff done versus the value of the work. 
And so two themes quickly emerged when you started grouping those accomplishments. One was an investment, like one-time investments in foundational systems. These are things like, you know, positioning, messaging, uh, marketing website, product development, um, you know, f- you know, foundational product development, database um, cleanup and, and restructuring, internal automations, um, even a, you know, implementing a CRM, those types mm-hmm. of things. Um, and then the second group was um, testing marketing channels, and uh, the, you know we did both of those, and we had we 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 we, we had great success in building the financial foundational systems to the point where if I look forward for the rest of the year as part of this goal period, we're not going to have to invest in any of that stuff for the rest of the year. There's one more foundational item we need to build, but it's primarily for marketing purposes. So. Hmm. And that's content, you know, use, you know, content, educational content. And, and then the second win, you know, if you look into it, we've tested outreach. Um, we've tested an employer channel. We've tested uh, social media. We've tested um, even SEO to a degree. Um, we've also tested, you know, net, local networking. And, you know, um, you know, if you look at, you know, you take those wins, those two buckets and go, what did we learn? There were some really interesting observations, you know, that we we unraveled. One is that out, you know, cold outreach is probably not a good use of our time. So last week I was, you know, talking about how I need to spend more time doing outreach with Lena. Upon writing this this memo and going through this reflection, I'm I'm basically coming. To, I came to the conclusion very quickly that cold outreach is a long term play. It is not a short term. Let's go get clients. Maybe that's different in open enrollment, but we don't need to do that to hit our short term goal. More likely, cold outreach is going to be an awareness driving tool that's more about just saying hello and saying, you know, like you pass someone in the street, like, hey, I'm here. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, or, you know, profiling and building a, a database for marketing and open enrollment. But that's not, that's long term stuff. That's not short term stuff. Um, so we, you know, you know, the, the, you know, when you look at that learning, it's like press pause. What, what, what's the action item? Press pause on outreach. I love that feeling, by the way, of thinking there's 10 things I need to do. And then you realize one of them I don't have to do right now. And those other nine become so much more realistic at that point. Totally, totally. I can't remember the original question that got me going on this. I'm happy to go through the whole memo or just kind of end it right there. Um, but if anyone's interested in seeing what I wrote up, it's, it ended up being six pages. Um, and uh, I guess what I want to say is that by going through this exercise, I ended up with a very clear plan for the rest of the year of which you know, there's really one investment in foundational stuff. And then the rest of it is all, you know, doubling down on the marketing, um, you know, you know, channels that we tested and were and worked in the first two months. It's all about execution now. Yes. Yes. And uh, awesome. Yeah. And, and focus too. Like it's, it's condensed. Like if you, if you look at like what we were doing for the last two months, it was very all over the place. Um, and very like, um, you know, you know, you know, split, between actual marketing, you know, majority actually system building. And now it's going to flip in terms of, you know, rate, there's going to be 80% marketing focus now, 20% Mm -hmm. systems, total 180, you know, 180 on that, on that. And then from a focus standpoint, we're, you know, in terms of number of things that we are focused on both in marketing and within foundational systems, we now have one foundational system to build. And that's, you know, a health insurance guide for Utahns. Um, and then, you know, we, it's really focused on what, what works with, with us. Well, it's, it's making people, it's local 
localized word of mouth is what we're calling it, but it's basically we have existing relationships in Utah. We need to maximize word of mouth within those existing relationships. Some of those people are friends. Some of those people are users. Some of those people are um, are acquaintances. But reach out to those people, ask for help, um, and the rest will take care of itself. Nice. Well, we'll we'll, we'll demand updates uh, now that you. It's clear what you need to do for the next few months. We'll hold you accountable. We being me and mysterious listeners out there. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so I've covered three updates in that update. Oh, wow. Um, so one thing that's going on with us, which is not common, is we're on the verge of closing some big accounts. I kind of mentioned oh, well, two weeks ago, maybe, that Alex, our biz dev guy, kind of like quasi-closed one. And when I say that, I mean they have verbally said it's happening. Now we have to make it happen. So of course it could fall through. You never know. But that one would be 600 users, um, which, yeah, we, to put it in perspective, our biggest account ever up to this point was maybe 150. Uh, So this would be much larger and at the $15 price point. So from a revenue standpoint, even larger still. And then we've got another one. So that the 600 user account, it's a pretty standard company. It's like, you know, corporate, level like different teams just how you think of a company the we've got another one that is a franchise model which we've often in the past thought would be a really good fit for us but it's never quite worked the way we wanted but because our product is for really small businesses how do you sell to a say 1000 person account um one way is to find a franchise network with a thousand different franchises and each one of them is a separate account so we've got one of those for the first time ever that we've been talking to for two years, I think. Like a couple of their franchises started using us on their own, and then one of those people advocated up to up the chain to corporate. We've been talking to corporate for a long time. They just called back one day, like recently, and we're like, so we're, we're ready to go. Thousand users, uh, all on one account, hopefully. Um, it's not quite as simple as like, you know, where do we put the credit card in, but Again, it, we don't have the money yet, but it really seems like it's happening. So you have a 600-person account that's more of a traditional enterprise deal, and mm-hmm. then you have a 1,000-person a account that's uh, really a bunch of small deals, um, packages one. The uh, Sort of, except in the past when we've done franchises, it's like the corporate level recommends it to the local ones. In this one, the corporate level will pay for everybody. So it's one sale... Whether those people use it or not, we still have to go out and get them to use it, hopefully. But like, it's 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 one big sale. I uh, got it. So not one account, really. It's one it's one payment like biller account, but multiple individual company accounts. Yeah, we're trying to figure that out. I'm I want one big account. Um, the thing is, there's weird regulations with franchises where if they pay for if it's one big account, it's, they just have to make sure that the individual franchises have enough autonomy that like you can't cross certain lines so i think it'll end up being one big account it might end up being a thousand different little accounts but it'll all have one payer either way which is a a big deal for us and then there's there's actually also a couple other not quite that big but between all of these you put them together it it could it could add up to two thousand users which would basically be the first six months of sales for 2021 might be closed before 2021 starts. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So what is your average, you know, sort of user 
grow or add on not only a net basis, but total add from new mm-hmm. sales. So if new from new signups, what are your what are your what's your average new users from new signups per month? Uh, let me pull up my report here just a sec. Um, we look at it in twenty eight day increments, not months, but you know pretty close. So normally we would add something like five hundred and fifty users in a month. So this basically would triple that. Yeah, something like that. So, but you know, if you look at it as net, I said we'd make our sales for the next six months. Very astute of you to consider we also have to combat churn. If we closed, you know, the two big ones here, basically what that would mean is we we'd cover our basic sales goal. Not it's not like a stretch goal or anything. It's like what do we need just to pay all our bills and grow the way we need to if our other growth just cancels out churn. So if our other growth cancels out churn, these two big accounts would would be the rest. And of course, we expect to have a lot more on top of that. Like the because we've never our, our business model is not based on this at all. We do not sign big accounts like this. This is like a totally new thing for us. So if we would have had a modest year anyway, and you add these two on, that would turn it into like our, our best six month period ever, probably. So that's neat. <laughs> that's great, man. Um, yeah, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high because things can always fall through, but we're, we're looking at it like, I really don't see what can fall through here. Like they're, they came to us saying they're ready to move. It's funny that you say that because I can remember back in, I, when we were talking in one of your visits to Utah, maybe in 2010 or 2011, you're like, we got these big deals. Yeah. We're going to yeah. close. And it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, we always have these big deals and they never seem to close. A hundred percent. And I, anyone listening to this should, that's the takeaway you should have. I do think this is different primarily because both of these are already customers of ours. Even the 600 user count, a hundred are already on our system. Um, so this is really expanding the rest of the business. It, it's a little more legit than the other ones, but you're, you're absolutely right. It, it could certainly fall through. We're, we're calling it 80% is my guess, uh, likelihood Great. for each one. Yeah. And I think like, especially early on, uh, it's much less likely to close for for so many different reasons. Yeah, right? and I don't know if the world has changed or if if these jokers specifically target small companies. But when we were really small, I got these inbounds at least once a week from people. Yeah, that, that said, "Oh, I'm going to bring five thousand users. Like, I'm ready to go." And they were all just completely full of shit. And I don't get those anymore. I'm not sure. Maybe they're just going through other channels and so they don't get to me or I don't know, but I don't think we're getting them at all, but we did in the early days. Uh, are, do you get that type of thing now? I'm, I'm, I've gotten a few inbound in the last week that are people going, I want to help, like I want to help grow mm. this mm. And, I, and I haven't talked to them yet, so I don't know exactly the angle, but I think um, when, you, when, when people see new things out there that have tr- seemingly have traction... They're, they're, they they see an opportunity to sort of become a... My guess is that a lot of those people wanted um, exclusive distribution rights um, along with it. So uh, a lot of times early on, you'll find... And we had this a lot at Zane Benefits where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm big. I'm going to do 10,000 you know, new signups in the next year. And I want exclusive, you know, I want exclusive geography distribution mm-hmm. for this. And it's like, how about you do the 10,000 and then we'll give you just exclusive. So why don't we do a <laughs> yeah. performance-based? And then it's like, you know, what's, why are we even talking? It's tough though, because every once in a while, these things do come through. So you can't just be a total cynic and say, these people are all scam artists. 
you have to kind of be optimistic and go into it thinking it'll work, but also keep your guard up and say, I understand that 49 out of 50 of these won't work. It's, it's, it's an experiment, right? Like you just have mm-hmm. to have the right expectations. Um, what do you think's changed for you guys that's made these type of big deals more probable? I was talking about that with Alex. I think largely this is purely coincidence. I think that he's what he does is he goes out. If there's any kind of opportunity, he flies out to their city, shakes hands, makes friends. I'd say not that he's bad at closing, but he's like his real strength is in forming relationships. We're not a company that's like, okay, now that the relationships there close right now, you know? And I think just coincidentally, two of these happened to happen at the same time. He does speculate. We, we've added a number of features that appeal more to larger accounts. So, for example, our custom fields are a lot more robust than they used to be. And it's the type of thing where before they'd come in and it's not necessarily that custom fields were a deal breaker, but if in a conversation, Alex has to say 10 times, eh, sort of, we'll fi- we can work around, we'll figure that out, versus him just being like, yep, what's next? Yep, what's next? Uh, I think that's that's not the main thing, but that's at least helping us here, I think. So, so yeah, more mature product probably, and more mature, mm-hmm. com- more mature product from a functionality standpoint, more mature company from a reliability standpoint, trust standpoint. The other factor I think that is probably real is COVID being, you know, in quarantine being such mm. an accelerator for, um, for digital, for digital, you know, digital tools. Um, CRM is yeah, one of those, right. uh, especially in probably in the industries that, that you're going that, that these guys are in, there's probably some massive shift toward virtual or more, you know, asynchronous work or something that is causing them to go, Hey, we need to invest in technology. Um, but I'm noticing that I used to, I, the, the health, the digital health accelerant was, was right there right away with telemedicine. So I saw yeah. it really, really quickly in the healthcare space. Um, I mean, pre COVID Medicare did not reimburse telecare. People don't realize Oof. that. Like if you're a <laughs> Medicare, you had to go to, if you wanted to get Medicare to reimburse, you had to go in person. Like that has changed well, as a result watch of Watch them roll it back when it's over. There's no way. There's no way. It's a, it, I hope yeah, not. I, yeah. I, um, so, um, but, but um, you know, you're now seeing it in retail where it's like, walk, like for example, walk into a restaurant and, you know, the menu, do you think we're going to get paper menus back at, at a lot of places? Or would you rather, you know, just get a virtual menu with QR codes? I think a lot of that stuff is going back personally. Okay. So but you're probably right that if 10% don't, that's still a huge, huge shift. Exactly. These things existed pre-COVID, but as a result of COVID, a lot of technologies that were sort of like, I don't really want to change because there's some switching costs to my habits and my routines. COVID just sort of like smacked those in the face. And once you get those habits and routines built around these technologies, it's like, where am I going to go back? And I'm wondering if uh, maybe there's not an, a, an opportunity for you to sort of seize that on more accounts um, with some focus. So your narrative makes total sense to me. At the same time, we haven't seen that with all our other accounts, right? You'd, intuitively, I would think if that were true, all ships, the t- uh, tide rise, raises, lifts all ships, whatever that saying is, that like our smaller accounts would also have been increasing in volume, which they haven't. But it could be affecting different account sizes differently. I, I think probably if I were to just guess, these accounts were going to happen anyway. But it's like COVID gave a lot of people more time to work on things. Like someone like Alex, you know, I, I just said he goes out and flies around and shakes hands. He can't do that right now. So he's finding other things to work on. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these companies were like, you know, 
half of our plans got canceled. What was next up on the list? Yep. Another factor too is, you know, maybe when businesses would business with new sales get harder and you're not just kind of writing this status quo, just stick, run the playbook. Um, mm. It causes reflection and, you know, it's like, what are the things that we can do to increase sales? Oh, we need to invest in a CRM. That's, I think that's absolutely right. The, uh, one of these two is a business that if you were to guess like what business has been hit the hardest Travel. by COVID, um, it's actually not this particular one. Well, I shouldn't say who they are, but th- I'm a hundred percent. You must be right because they, they got devastated by it. And I bet they're like, we need to do anything we can do to be ready to get up and running once this is over. Totally. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, it's exciting to have those things going on. And, you know, if they were to close, it'd be the first time in a long time where, or maybe ever where it's like, that's a lot of money to play with. You know, do you go higher? Do you like, do you keep it as profit? What do you do? But it's a good problem to have that we haven't really dealt with before. That's great. Um, looks like you're done with all your updates. You want me to keep running or? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm finished my updates in that big, long uh, spiel yeah. that I gave. Um, I'll save one of these for next time. But the, the one I do want to talk about, uh, I've had a couple experiences recently that ha- caused me to kind of appreciate the role that customer service plays in Less Annoying Serum's business a little bit more lately. And I hadn't thought about it in these terms before, but customer service has always been a differentiator for us. Like if you look at reviews for us on G2 or Captera, some of them are like, this is a great product. It's very simple and easy to use. But even more than that, what you see is this company has the best customer service of any tech company you've ever dealt with. It is the main, it's the reason we got the US News and World Report number one CRM ranking. Like they say it in the article, they're like, less annoying CRM is basically the same as these other three CRMs, but they have the best customer service. So I always knew that, but I never viewed it as a defensible advantage. I always kind of thought of it as anyone who wants to spend money on customer service can do it. The only reason our competition's not doing it is because it's not very, it's not worth the money if you're trying to maximize profit. Do you buy that? I don't, I mean, I, I buy that as one reason they wouldn't do it. Okay. But like that they could. It's hard, man. I, 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 I think you're underestimating like what you're not giving credit to is how hard it is to be, to hire and scale people that are thoughtful to and, and awesome towards customers. Like if, if it's not just a cost thing, it's also like a brain power and, mm-hmm. you know, puzzle problem. Like it's, it's a really, it's really, really hard to maintain excellent customer maintain excellent customer service at scale. Forget the cost. Okay. So absolutely. Uh, this is what I'm, I'm coming to appreciate now when it was like just me and Michael doing customer service back in the day, I think what I said earlier was true. I think anyone could compete with that because it's just take a a smart, talented person who gives a shit and give them the time to devote towards customers and anyone can figure it out. But it's a different puzzle to say, how do you do that? Not, not that we're at huge scale right now, but the team is like seven people or something. Anyway, what's happened recently, I've had a few conversations with other founders where the topic of customer service would come up and I'd be like, oh, well, here's how we handle that. And I can kind of tell their reaction is like, there's no fucking way I'm going to do that right now. Like what you just said is too much process. Like it, it, it took too long to get it in place. You have to have tooling in place. You, so like one example is if, so, if a customer, this happened on Twitter the other day, 
not that anyone necessarily said this in response to me, but people were talking about how do you get customers onto a screen share? Like, do you just send them a Zoom link? And it occurred to me like, that, that works fine. That's not a problem. But we have a website, joinlicrm.com, that shows everyone's face and you just click on their face. It automatically takes you to the Zoom link and it also generates a link that lets the person you're talking to on our end log in as them. It authenticates through their session. And it's not a major thing, right? But we've got 50 of those like on all different areas of the customer service that I just didn't appreciate as they were being developed. Because I've, I've had to do with a little bit of them, but most of them happened without my involvement. And I'm just looking back and I'm like, man, this turned into a moat all of a sudden. Yeah, you wake up one day all of a sudden kind of thing, but it's 10 yeah. years of work. And it's um, I, you, what you've done, I think, is, is, is how I want to do Leg Up Health, which is you've thought of customer service as part of your product. And you've invested in it the same way, like just like you invest in features and systems within your SaaS application. You've gone, how can I do that same thing if I look at customer service as a product? Mm. And it's gotten the same TLC as your product. And I, I used to have the hardest conversations. The engineers that you know that you that you talk to don't like at a, at a very software driven company. They have a really hard time grasping that the product is more than just software. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, the whole user experience, right? Yes. And part of that's content on the website and marketing, like our health insurance guide. That is mm. a huge part of our product. And, you know, the you know customer service, that's a huge part of your product. And you've treated it that you've given, you've gotten the whole company to treat it that way and see that. Um, and as you know, whether they see it or not, you've gotten them to, to invest in it like it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, very few companies, you you do that. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. And anyway, it, it probably sounds like I'm just bragging about ha- having good customer service, but the the realization of it was a differentiator that was not defensible. And through years of, like you say, focusing on these little things, I think it's a, a second moat now. Our product was the first moat, and I think that the customer service is a second moat. And it's just kind of changed how I think about it. And I, I'm not sure I have any great takeaways, but it's exciting. And also I say this to say like things that maybe at first aren't defensible, an advantage that you maintain over the years and get better and better and better at eventually may become a moat. Totally. I, and I, I think most of the time when you first start out, um, it's a first mover or first version of like, it's a product advantage. Um, but when you, what, what, what are your, you investing in that is going to differentiate you from um, the competition ultimately, if you succeed at it, will become a moat because all of your all of your business processes. Like um, I, I think Michael Porter talks about this. I haven't read his stuff in detail, but Michael Porter is a Harvard guy, uh, professor. He's he's known for his books and writings on strategy, um, and he taught he defines what competitive advantage is in some of his books. And one of the the things he talks about most in terms of competitive advantage isn't you know isn't uh, you know anything other than um, mul- basically multiply dependent pro- internal processes that work. And you know, you can copy one of them when you see it, but how they work together, it's not just the 50 individual things. It's how the 50 things work together and interact with mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. that creates this complex system, systematic uh, process that, that is the advantage. And that is very, very hard to copycat. Yeah. You can do any, any one of them you look at and it's not that hard, but if you look at all of them together, it's like this would take years, and and it has like the a failure risk that when you just look at basic 
you know, operations, you're like, I can do that for sure. There's no, there's no risk there, but yeah, cool. Anyway, just wanted to noodle around on that. Um, I'll save this next update for next time since we're already running long. <laughs> cool. What do you want to talk about? looks like you've got some, uh, some ranting and shouting out to do. You'll like the rant. Um, get this. So copper, when you add a record scrapes, like compares it against data that they've scraped off the internet. And this is copper, your CRM. Copper is a CRM that we've installed. It's great. It's got some great benefits. Like it's heavily integrated with Google. It's like, it's the most integrated CRM ever worked with, with Google suite. So Kudos to them, and it's why we went with them. We pay a lot of money every month for it, but they do this really annoying thing that I like. Got fed up. I got to the point where I was like, "This has to stop this weekend." And so, what, what's happening is when you add a new lead or new contact into Copper, Copper goes and looks at its database and puts data in social profiles, a picture if they have one, that sort of thing. And that's great when it's accurate and up to date, but some percentage of the time, it's inaccurate. Mm-hmm. And for, for example, like I'm talking to this guy, I'm on video with him. I put him in copper and copper puts a profile picture in that is not the same guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, that's not okay. So I'm talking to this guy. I'm like, what the hell? Like, you know, it's totally distracting. I, and then they don't have a, they have two things that you can't do. First of all, you can't delete the photo. You have to go Oof. replace it with an actual one. So that's, that's annoying. And then second, for all the bad data, you have to remove it. Like you can't, you can't turn this feature off that adds bad data or that wow. scrapes the data. And so can you at least tell if the data was scraped or if you put it in yourself? No, Man, you cannot. That seems dangerous. It's very dangerous. And so I uh, emailed support and they were like, go put it on the idea list. And I said, no, <laughs> like you can't put bad data in my CRM. This has to stop. Like, like, no, I'm not going to put this on an idea list. Like, I need to talk to someone about this. Um, and so it's it's in product's hands now, apparently. But I can, like, this made me go from a promoter of copper to a detractor in, like, a very short time. And if they don't fix it, mm. um, I will, this will be something where I, like, you know, do, am I happy with copper? No, I'm not happy with copper. Will I switch? Wow. Um, maybe not. But the minute... You know, right. so, you know, a new a, an alternative with the Gmail integration comes around. I'm 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 done with these guys. So I'm going to give them some period of time to fix it. Um, but can you imagine, like, if if like one of your users logged in, like your new users, like on, like on the phone with someone, and you just started editing shit on the record that they're working on, and it was wrong, and then you could, well, they couldn't turn it off. They couldn't turn it off. And what I'm really nervous about here is that you can't tell they added it because, like, might they add, for example, a phone number? And then you call them and tell them sensitive information about their account to the wrong person. Like- oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. It's um. Anyway, uh, I, I this is something I'm not going to let go. So yeah, you may hear other rants about this. So far, the first way they they responded was like ridiculous. Um, yeah, but once it got escalated, it got es- it got escalated. They were very responsive. Um, the first response wasn't great. Second response, they got it and they got escalated. We'll see how they do going forward. Um, but uh, anyway, I thought you'd appreciate you know, that one. Oh, well, I, I really, I do more than you know, because I we get requests for features like this all the time where they're basically like, can you automatically figure out their address and pull in all this stuff? And there are, 
I assume Copper's not doing this themselves. There are APIs out there where you give it basically whatever information you know about a person, and it will give you everything else that they know. Um, and I've thought about using these, and I'm just like, yeah, this. I think manually entering data in the CRM is the, is the way to go here. Um, and not everyone agrees on that. Obviously, Copper added that for a reason. And it's actually expensive. Those APIs are not cheap. So Copper's paying a lot for it. You're yeah. buying data, right? And right. so I look at that as an app add-on where it's like, hey, you want to spend money on buying data, you install it. But it's a very clear, like, would you like to add this data that we bought for you, mm-hmm. you know, to the account? That's a you know, yes, no. But for, for at the first you know, point, it's uh, do you want to turn this feature on? And then the second point, it's like, do you want us to add this data to your account, yeah. you know, to your to your record? Yeah, and I, I mean, I've thought it before you even said any of this, I've thought about building it, right? Because we get it requested from time to time. And the way I imagined it was, there's a little bubble over to the side that's like, here's data that we pulled down. Do you maybe even never add it to the profile? Just show it as like extra, but or if you want to move it over, make it manual. So anyway, yeah, I, I feel you. I hear you, and I'm I'm validated a little bit. I feel good that we haven't moved on that type of feature yet. Cool, cool. You got any uh, shout outs? Um, yes. So, I have you heard of uh, Trends.VC? I'm a payer. You are okay. I'm a paid subscriber. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Drew. How do you describe what it is? Analytic, like um, an analyst, uh, uh, basically an easy to read analyst take on topics that aren't usually covered by analysts related to building, you know, a, a bootstrapped software company. Yeah. That sounds right to me. So I'd like seen it around. So Drew Riley is the creator of it who I've seen around him, but I hadn't really looked into trends.vc much. Um, I just talked to Drew earlier today. He's doing research on one of these topics, which I wouldn't say I'm an expert on, but I said something on Twitter that made him think I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, looking at it, it's just awesome. If you look through it, they've got a thing on no code, micro SaaS, marketing funnels, and the, it's the coolest freemium content model I've ever seen. You click, to, there's a free summary on each of these topics. And then at the bottom, it's like, if this is a topic you want, pay 20 bucks or whatever. But you're saying you're a subscriber. I didn't even realize, or did you say subscriber or just that you pay for these one-off? I, I paid for a year subscription. I think it was like a so hundred bucks, all of them. something like okay. that. So I get That's all cool. of them. And I, yeah, it's, I, I'm a big fan of newsletter content. That's I'm actually talked to Drew about this, uh, very high signal, but low word count, um, mm-hmm. to the point. And I, I like that about his writing style where it's like, there's no fluff. It's just like, here's some bullets on, that you need to know about this. You know, here's some links if you want to go read in depth, but it's like what every you know, book would be better off doing, where it's like, instead of reading a 300 pa- page book on th- that could be condensed into 200 pages, that's what he's doing, uh, to some effect in these areas. Yeah. Well, I was really surprised because we talked for, I don't know, 45 minutes and got really in depth and I hadn't looked at any of these yet. And then, so I was like, he's going to really dive into these. And then I looked at it and it's like, you know, two pages of bullet points, but he's doing extreme research to get those two pages of bullet points. You can't get high, you can't do that. You can't get to the point on things without investing and knowing your shit. And, and, and so, yeah, I totally respect what he's doing. I hope, I hope it gets to a place and I think it will where it's a profitable thing because um, it's really valuable to me. Yeah. I'm going to have to go buy one of these. I'm not sure which, but because uh, I haven't actually seen the paid versions yet. But um, the yeah, no code cool. one might be a good one for you. I was thinking that. Yep. Yep. Back to you. 
Um, so, um, I, I, I feel a little weird doing this, but I have a couple of shout outs. One of my shout outs is to my wife, Sable, um, who, so Tyler and I, I'll get some context to this. Tyler and I, um, worked at Zane benefits together with a guy named Ben Diltz in 2007 and in 2008 and in 2009, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and long story short, the three of us were the ones who sort of figured out how to pivot the business to a new model and get it to cash flow positive. But pretty early on, Ben started working on this product tool called Lucid Chart that ultimately became Lucid Chart. And it's a Visio diagram. It was a Visio competitor that was basically bringing traditional Microsoft Visio, which is a desktop app traditionally that you bringing it to the web like Google Docs. And anyway, Lucid Chart is an a company that's probably worth over a billion dollars now. Um, there, it's a single, for the most part, it's a single product company. They do have a, com- a product called Lucid Press that is a smaller business, but they really operate that a little bit separately. Um, Sable for the last year, it seems like a year, um, but probably a little bit less, has been working with the marketing team and the leadership team and and so and and you know other teams to launch a new product for Lucid and reposition the company around uh, visual collaboration. And and so she's worked really, really hard on that for the past uh, few months and everything launched this week. So Lucid, uh, and she was a big player in this. She's a, a direct, senior director of product marketing, which is really responsible for, you know, how do you position a company and how do you sp- position products within that company? And the way that they coordinated this, it's impressive. It made me appreciate like what can get done at scale when a company is run really, really well. Because they went from no product in the visual in like the visual whiteboarding space to a brand new product called LucidSpark. And you can check it out at lucidspark.com in very little time. And it was a pretty flawless launch. Um, I expect that that will be a top visual um, whiteboarding tool uh, for a lot of people. If you haven't heard about it yet, you will probably in the next month or two. Cool. Yeah, I, I looked at it. It's it's neat. I don't uh, necessarily have a sense of like what Sable would have like. She she didn't build the product, I guess. Which is the main thing you can see is like, is it a good product? But it's it it feels like the, it's been there the whole time, which is certainly an accomplishment. Like if I've I've had a Lucid Chart account for a long time, not a paid one, but like a free one, and you log in and you're just like it's fully fully integrated into kind of the the rest of the platform. Yep. Yep. Um, stuff she's working on um, is more around like the marketing side. So marketing websites. How do you? What, what was the product name? You know. Yeah. What should we call this but, thing? How do we position yeah, I, the products relative to the company brand? Um, okay. How do we? How do we train everyone in the company around this? How do we? What, what's the media? How do we want to launch this? What integrations do we want to grab? That, those kinds of things. I guess when I say integrated, I don't mean like technically integrated because actually it's not. I don't think like it's a totally separate product. But I just mean. You know, you go to the pricing page and uh, yes. it's it's not like, oh, we're Lucid Chart and did you know about our new product that we don't care about? It, it was like, we're a two product company, like across the whole board, the consistency was was very impressive. That, and that's her. Yeah, that's that's product yeah. marketing. Totally. You nailed it. Cool. I, uh, um, I hope to one day have a second product to do that with. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And so um, anyway, that's I'm proud of my wife right now. And uh, she's been really awesome leading the move while she's been launching this product. Uh, hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, I want to just give a shout out to Cortland Allen at Indie Hackers. who's put together a podcast network for 
um, some of the indie hacker members of the indie hacker community who do their own podcast. Um, you and I uh, were invited to it as part of Startup to Last, and there's been some other really cool podcasts and, and hosts that have been a part of that. But he's taking a, a. I had no idea that he would take as much time and thoughtfulness in you know, helping and sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, how we might be able to prove start to last and all the other podcasts. And so shout out to him for truly like investing a, a substantial amount of thought and time into um, helping us improve start to last. Yeah. Cortland, if you're listening, even though this episode sounds exactly like every other one, we are working on changes. <laughs> We're working on, uh, yeah, ways, ways to make it appeal more to new listeners and, you know, may- maybe ways to get a little more meat front loaded in the episode. I feel like so many of our episodes, you have to get to like minute. What are we at right now? Like 50. You have to get about here before the real good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the biggest takeaway for me is just how to think about the podcast journey. And there's really three different areas, right? There's, you know, finding new listeners. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's keeping listeners, but there's a really important part in between, which we usually call onboarding and software, that is, you've got a listener giving you a try, but how do you get that listener to sort of get to value um, as quickly as possible? And I don't think we, you know, I think one thing we've acknowledged is that we don't do a great job of that. Um, Yeah. And uh, it's especially hard because of the format and the... The format's terrible for this. Yeah. Yeah. What I want is like, there should be a button in the podcast player that's like, you know, if you're new, push this button and we're going to sell you on it, basically. Or like, we'll give you 10 good clips from the past so you can evaluate us. But there's just no way to do that. Totally, totally. Yeah. So we're definitely receptive to feedback right now on the format um, and the uh, and then how we might be able to make it easier for you know new listeners to get into it. And then also you know, better for existing listeners so they stick around. Yeah. Cool. Can I rant for a second? Um, I'm ready. I posted about this on Twitter and you already responded, but I just cannot understand all the local businesses and especially for some reason it's restaurants specifically that just seem completely uninterested in trying to survive COVID. And I get how hard it must be. And like you you had this business that presumably was working and everything got turned upside down, but there's so many businesses that still have not updated their websites with like even a menu on the website, haven't claimed their Yelp and Google profiles yet. Um, their menus and stuff on DoorDash and Postmates and all these are wrong. And I just can't even figure out how to order from these restaurants. And I, I'm in Missouri where you can just walk in and, you know, like there's no regulations around this, but I'm not going to do that, you know? I'll, I'll get takeout, but I'm not like eating inside a restaurant right now. But so many of these restaurants just aren't even fucking trying and I don't get it. Like, why did you start a business if, if this moment, this is like the most put up or shut up moment you're ever going to experience as a business owner and to just completely concede the moment. I don't get it. Yeah. I can't, I can't figure that out either, but you see this all over the board and, and in terms of team, like, you know, the same thing applies to the average workforce, right? Like why doesn't everyone work hard and what, you know, but I get that one because like laziness and it, it's maybe not in their best interest to work hard, depending on what their goals are. Well, maybe that's what's applying here, right? Like there's there's massive PPP loans uh, being sent out. There are stimulus checks. Um, who knows what the motivation is? Been a while. Are. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. Okay, I'm not. Listen, I'm not. I agree with you. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, 
I I wonder how much, and I commented on this to the Twitter rant he had, was how much of this is, you know, willful neglect versus I don't know how to run a business, and I'm yeah, you know, and I I I have a feeling that a lot of it's I I don't know how to run a business. Absolutely, I I've, even before COVID started, I I thought this about restaurants. There are a lot of restaurants that got successful, you know, in the '90s or earlier. And you can tell they just never once reconsidered, you know, hey, has anything changed in the last three decades? Um, yeah, there, there's just no, there's no entrepreneurship going into some of them. On the other hand, other restaurants are, it's it's incredible what they're doing. You you talked at one point about your friend who took his chain of restaurants and turned it into a like point of like ordering groceries and stuff back when you couldn't really, like everything was sold out of grocery stores. So some people are taking this and running with it, but I get so a more positive spin on my complaint here is I think there's a huge opportunity to be a restaurateur. It's a terrible, people say it's a terrible industry, bad margins and stuff like that. But I think if you're the rare restaurateur who treats it like any other business, there are problems. We need to be creative. We need to give ourselves time to think through these things and not just sit there taking orders all day. Um, I think there's an opportunity to really do something special in in the restaurant space. Yeah. Or serve the pe- help the people who don't get it get better mm-hmm. and uh, yeah that's true that's a good so, point so yeah um it kind of made me think what we were i was comparing it to employees and how and workforces but um one of the what, a good framework a good thing that i saw recently that i think applies in this situation is the difference between working hard and competing have you heard about this have you thought about this mm-hmm. before no so so a lot of people work hard, right? I'm sure those restaurant owners are showing up every day and they're working hard, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like and, and they're like, uh, "Why is nobody here?" <laughs> yeah, uh, but competing is is different. Competing is yeah, you're working hard, but you're trying to win, and hmm. uh, and that requires you to learn new things and it push yourself past uh, uh, the status quo. And I think your problem is that the restaurants owners don't seem to be competing. Um, right. may, they may be working hard and that's not your point, but they're not competing and it's driving you nuts. That's, that's a great way to put it. I also see a lot of parallels there. I think you and I, I've talked about this with other people. I think you and I have talked about this kind of the difference between working hard and practice. Um, and my version of this is I played guitar when I was younger. I got pretty good really fast. Like I was on a trajectory to be a really good guitar player. And then I kind of plateaued. And the reason is it became so much fun that I started just playing for fun and not practicing. So I was still putting in two hours a day playing guitar, but I stopped getting better because I wasn't practicing anymore. Yep. Yep. So competing, practicing, maybe there's a, there's a whole, there's a there's page book there. with one page of insight here. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Huge opportunity for someone to, <laughs> to make 15 bucks a copy. Yeah. Well, um, um, cool. I guess, uh, I want to do one shout out and then maybe we can sign off. And then we have a couple topics for next week um, that I think will be interesting, but I don't know if you saw this. Did you see the collaboration between Slack and Cole Haan, which is, uh, I'm a huge fan of. Of what, which one, both? Cole Haan. Okay. I'm not, I wouldn't say call myself a Slack fan, but I'm a user. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was a really. I saw that they're, they're making Slack branded shoes. I don't understand it at all. Can you explain this to me? Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I don't think I can accurately. I mean, is that it? It's just it, Slack branded shoes. Slack. It's a collaboration between Slack and Kohan. But they're, they're, they're Kohan. You know, has recently sort of entered the. There's a trend in fashion away from traditional business shoes. Kohan is like a. 
they're like the 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 entry point to really nice men's shoes. Yeah. And so, I, can, you know, can I, I tell my Cole Haan story real quick? Yes. I had a super super rich roommate sophomore year of college who his mom would just send him incredibly expensive clothes like Burberry and Cole Haan and stuff and anything he didn't like, he would just give to somebody. So the most expensive piece of like fashion or clothing I've ever had were these house shoes made by Cole Haan. And I just, I wore those things for like 10 years. I was like, these are $400 slippers. Anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, growing up, I never had really nice dress shoes. Um, I remember I got my first really nice dress shoes my senior year in college because my dad took me and said, you need some shoes. Um, but I really didn't have great shoes growing up. They were either full of holes or something. So I have a, a bit of a shoe fetish as a result of that. Um, and so I, I don't, I've been, uh, Kohan is like the perfect price point for me not to like worry about the shoe, but still get something that looks really nice and feels really nice. But they've recently, there's a trend in, 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 in fashion, in men's fashion from away from like the traditional loafers and, um, and, and dress, and dress shoes to more of a hybrid sneaker, you know, slash dress shoe. Um, and Kohan's going big on that. And the, the, the people who are leading that movement, I think are the tech people are the tech people. A lot of tech yeah. founders, they're, they're wearing these sort of hybrid sneaker dress shoes. And I, I think Kohan sees a Slack, an opportunity with Slack to, to basically validate their entry point into this market. Um, I, I'm going to buy some shoes as a result of it. You're going to buy Slack branded shoes? No, I'm not going to buy Slack branded shoes. You're going to buy different. I, I'm going to go buy that same shoe without the, without Slack, the Slack logo, logo. but I wouldn't have known about this, the shoe, but for Slack telling me about it. Okay. So it's brilliant for Cole Haan because you're right. Like I heard about them once when this pair of slippers were given to me and I probably haven't heard their name said since. And, and now they're in the, the tech news. So brilliant for them. But who the fuck wants Slack branded shoes? Why is Slack doing this? I don't understand this at all. I, well, I'm talking about Slack right now too. So there's, there's, um, I don't yes. know. I think it's more of an upside for Cole Han, but all the Slack employees probably are pretty excited about having a Slack branded Cole Han shoe. I would be, I, I guess it's a, it's, it's a bizarre gimmick, but I can't, I can't disagree with the fact that we're talking about it. So there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, you should, if anyone's out there, like Cole Han's got some pretty cool hybrid, you know, sneaker fashion, um, or sneaker, um, dress uh shoes that you know I, i'm gonna buy a pair all right let us keep us updated this is what the the people want to hear about I mean, i'm sure that's <laughs> what they want to hear about. They're, they're, you know, taking that to a, an interesting place there's a lot of i think collaboration opportunities that we take for granted um and don't even look at and i think this is an example of one another thing that i just tweeted about was there i twitter people consumer uh, i'm noticing that some of the uh, brands out there are getting better at Twitter ads and they're doing video. Um, there's a nine second video that uh, Twisted T did. I have no idea what Twisted T is until today, but um, I watched the video. And I'm like, man, duct tape is really awesome. And I have no idea if duct tape is, is, you know, any duct tape brands are actually behind that. But like, there are so many, there's so many interesting collaboration opportunities between like consumer products and uh, services um, or two types of con two very different consumer products by making a funny video about it that could go viral. Yeah, I hate it, but I agree that it, it it's a thing that works. <laughs> it's definitely like anno like borderline annoying. Well, yeah, if you think about what like the best forms of marketing provide real value to people, or they you know educate people or whatever, and this is just purely like 
I don't even know what the term for it is, but it's just like, oh, that's a brand I know, and that's a brand I know, and weird dopamine hits in my head because I I used to buy that brand when I was a kid or whatever. It's a dopamine. It's totally a dopamine hit. That's a, they're, they're gamifying ads, and uh, yeah. they're, they're like preying on on how it feels to reminisce. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, very interesting. You want to uh, sign us off here? All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover, discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.